For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's good, BBN? Welcome into the Believe in Tucky podcast. Another episode. I'm alongside the UK legend, 96 champ, Tony Dell. TD, what's good, man? Vinny, man, just relaxing, man. Getting, uh, still spending all those countless hours in the gym trying to improve my uh, AAU teams and work on some kids' individual skill set. But it's fun. Like I said, we're back and, uh, you know, giving the kids something to do, but also having them uh, learn and kind of be taught by me and some of my other coaches and friends. So it's, it's back to living, uh, not how it once was, but at least I'm back uh, in a place that I enjoy and I love. Exactly, exactly. So we'll definitely get into that a little bit more. I actually got a Kentucky basketball question, even though nothing's been going on, uh, and some other fun stuff. Y'all get at us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Believe.com, number one podcast network for professionals. If you want to advertise your product or business, go to Believe.com and let them know what your idea is. Me and Tony would love to talk it up. Speaking of coaching and you kind of getting back to a little bit of normal, what, how would you describe your coaching style? Play for Rick Pitino, a lot of different coaches in the NBA, influential high school coaches. How would you describe your coaching style to these young ones coming up? You know, I, I think my style is pressuring the ball, which is something that I was very familiar with at Kentucky and just keep uh, teaching our guys just how to be fundamentally sound defensively and try to take their angles, beat guys to the spot, be act, have active hands and slide your feet, uh, challenge shots without coming down on their, their shooting hand and uh, talking on defense. I think the communication is something that makes a great defensive team, especially when your back line of defense, which would be your, your four, your five, which is I, I haven't tried to give my guys position. So I want to kind of keep the game positionless. But normally your taller guys are going to be down on the lower block or in the 2-3 zone because they're going to be guarding the taller defenders. So my emphasis to them is, hey, you got to talk. You know, you're the eyes for the guys is up front. So the communication is something that I'm really emphasizing. And it takes time. You know, when you have um, young players, especially like my third and fifth grade team, you know, those guys are still really just learning basketball. So some of the nuance and some of the terminology will go over their head. But the more they hear it, and as they transition from third to fourth to fifth and sixth into seventh grade, even as they go to high school, you know, the more they hear the terminology, I guess the more familiar they will be with it. So really it's more about, um, you know, teaching them, you know, how to play solid defense and to rely on your defense, you know, cause you're not going to always make shots. You're going to miss layups. You can turn the ball over. But my motto is, you know, if, if, if we turn the ball over, miss shots, do the same to them, make it tough for them to score. So just, really teaching them just, you know, to defend the paint, which is I always tell them the danger zone is not letting one get into your house. So your house is the paint. The real estate is outside the paint. You know, it's cool to be outside the real estate, but you cannot let anyone enter into your house. That's the danger zone. And that's how you protect your family. 
That's for sure. That's for sure. Now, your coaching demeanor, are you are you calm and cool? Are you animated? Are you jumping up and down and, and stalking the sidelines? What are you like in game while it's in the heat of battle? I think I'm doing a little bit of both, man. But I, I think what I do a, a better job of is like, even though when I call a timeout or I take a player out of the game, you know, I make sure, you know, because I don't have assistant coach, so it has to be a, a quick tell them what they did wrong. And then after the game, you know, I can remember exactly what happened. So then I would explain to them after the game, hey, you need to be here this time right here. You know, you need to stay off the sideline. You know, pass before the guy is being defended. Don't throw the ball to the corner. So all these things I'm telling them after the game, and some of them doing it while the game is going on, but I want them to really understand it. Because I could tell them that, and they're like caught up, in, caught up into the game or into the heat of the battle. And, you know, they're not really thinking like that, but I'm still thinking and coaching and making sure I have enough timeouts. We're not turning the ball over. We, uh, we're getting good shots. So it was fun over the weekend getting the chance to really coach the kids and, you know, to help them get a victory and just to see how, how passionate they are about the game, you know. So that, that makes it even easier for me to really study the game but really teach them and, and, and want to be a, a mentor also, you know, not only just being a teacher but a mentor and kind of let them know that it, it takes time. You know, this is a process. All the information I have in my 46 years, I had to learn over time. It didn't just happen, you know, one, you know, the first month, the second month, the second year, year five, year 10. I said, some of this stuff I'm still, I've learned in my 40s. And uh, just really just how to, you know, to be, a, to, be, to be a difference maker, to teach the kids and not get on them too hard where, you know, they don't want to play the game anymore. You're finding that balance. And then – to go back after the game and remember all the details of stuff that you want to tell them that you couldn't during the heat of battle because you don't have assistant coaches and you're wearing all the hats. Hey, man. Hey, that's <laughs> prop, man. I'm trying to do it, man. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's a lot of work, but, you know, I think I'm really good and I always have been good at remembering plays and, and just even some of the things I did wrong myself as a, as a player, even kind of dating back to high school, man, I, I can watch a video of VHS, which is, you know, I, I finally put it on CDs, and uh, but I can kind of remember some of my high school plays, things I did wrong, and you know. So as I watch the game and analyze it, I'm also processing that information to teach my kids, you know, what exactly we need to do to uh, what to do so we don't make that same mistake. And when I'm talking to one kid, as I have told them, I'm like, I'm talking to everyone, so it's not like I'm getting on my point guard. I'm getting on, you know, I'm not addressing you directly, but indirectly. This is something where it's a teaching moment for everyone. So I need all eyes and ears when I'm talking and all eyes on me when I'm, you know, as, as I'm demonstrating something. So we don't have to go over it over, over it again because I want AAU practice to be a practice, not me teaching kids. You know, every time I got to teach this kid over here, it takes away five or 10 minutes from another kid. So I do um, have additional training during the week from mom. I do that on Wednesday and Sunday. So even for my kids who practice throughout the week, I have days um, uh, where we do have individual training. So I do want them to take advantage of, of that time when we can just train and we can work on that ball handling, shooting, and just the basic fundamentals. So I don't really want to go into AAU practice trying to teach kids how to dribble, how to shoot, and especially when you have four or five kids that already know that. You know, it's kind of like now I'm holding them back. Yeah, and mess up the whole flow of the, of the practice when you have to do all those interruptions, right? Right. 
Now, um, first episode we did, you know, we talked about what you were doing, what you were into, and uh, we talked about, you know, sales from the wine, going to UK Children's Hospital. Uh, a couple of days after that, I saw a write-up on you, uh, UK alumni on Twitter in the UK health section. They had a write-up where they had interviewed you and, and talked about that very same thing. I think just, you know, the, the importance of just giving back, man. I think when you get a chance to donate and it's for a great cause is, you know, it's from the heart. You know, it's not like, um, you know, you're really benefiting from it no more than, you know, trying to get the wine sale up. But I think it's, it's giving back to the people who own the, who own the front line of first responders and letting them know how much we appreciate, you know, their help and what they do for so many families out there, you know, and as they're taking care of other families, they're, they're away from their family. So really just, you know, just a token of my appreciation for uh, all the hard work that they've done for my daughters who've been a part of uh, Children's Hospital here in Atlanta, because uh, I have two daughters that are diagnosed with sickle cell disease. So really just seeing how those, those nursing doctors work, um, like, a, like a head coach and, and his players, is that they form a great team. And when you have a good team, you know, you want to reward that team. So that's the only thing I, I thought about uh, while I was doing this. You know, when I thought about the Lorenzo's wine, I was like, man, how can I really get some people involved but also give back to a worthy and a great cause, and especially during this time where, you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs and, you know, families, you know, um, still have to you know, get their kids to the hospital and take gas money, but then you got to possibly spend the night there with your kids. So it, there's a lot of nuance that go into uh, being a parent that sometimes, um, you know, parents who don't have six kids, sick kids, they don't quite understand all, all the work that goes into it and just spending time with your child and your child uh, feeling safe when you're there. But if you have a job, you can't really be there. So I understand all those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, a whole new meaning, a whole new set of responsibilities when the child is sick for sure. Yeah. Oh, here's, here's my question for you, man. I have a question for you. Um, I know the NBA is getting ready to start here, hopefully in the next month or so. But what do you think about the comment that Kyrie made about, you know, uh, trying to form his own league and, and not really complying to being in the – he doesn't want to be in the – I guess he wasn't invited to the bubble. So now he's like, well, since I'm not invited, let me cause, let me cause some friction here between the, the players and that and seem like that's what he's doing right now. So what do you think about Kyrie, his viewpoint on where the league is at, where the league is trying to go uh, at this moment? I mean, it's putting it mildly. He, he kind of walked to the beat of his own drum and, and always <laughs> has. Uh, I mean, the, the whole flat earth stuff and, you know, he kind of got a track record of thinking differently, if you want to call it that. Um, and now you see him and Kendrick Perkins going back and forth on Twitter. <laughs> Perkins question his leadership is it's weird that he if he if he said one thing in a meeting and now he's you vote one way and then talk another way. That's that's right. kind of sketchy. My question back to you, TD, having played in the league, how is Kyrie the vice president of the NBA Players Association? How how does that no. come about? That, that's something that is funny you brought that up because I didn't even know that because that, that means someone had to elect him and some people yeah. so you know when you think about some of his thought process it's totally different than maybe you and I and that's the great thing about having an opinion and having your own thoughts it's your thoughts mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's correct you know it's just something that, that's in your head 
that you feel adamant about, but also knowing that everybody else is not gonna gonna comply or they're gonna be like, hey, you know what? That's how you feel, but I don't feel that way. So it's not about your money. It's about, you know, is this something that's gonna make our league better? Is something that's gonna make me better as an individual? So even when, you know, you, you think about electing Kyrie, like that means a bunch of guys are in the room and they say, hey, you know what? We think he would be a vice, a good vice president. Like I'd have been like, heck no, I don't think he's gonna be a good vice president because he's not even a good teammate right now. So if he's not a good teammate, what what in your right mind would make you think he's gonna be a good vice president? So that's what I so I have to come back and say, you know, to your point, is you know, he's like he's like on the fence right now. You know, he's half in and half out off the fence. He's about to fall off the fence and but he's still hanging on tightly. So I really think when you have someone that has that's indecisive about, you know, decision making, you should never appoint that person as a vice president or for that matter, a president. Yeah, yeah. So that's you can have your issue with him, but the rest of the guys kinda gotta look in the mirror if, if they put him in that position. <laughs> so you know. Yeah, yeah. If you if, if you vote the man in, you can't like I said, <laughs> that that's their choice. Like you can't be upset with anybody. It it'll be different if if there was you know, because I know there had to be other candidates on the ballot, you know, and it's like, man, we, we you know, Kyrie is the best candidate. And th- so it lets me know who are the other guys on the ballot? You know, who are the, who are the candidates that, that he beat out? That's who I want to know. Like, who are those guys? How are they feeling right now? And be like, oh, you know what? That's your vice president that's speaking up right now. Yeah, so absolutely. Now, switching real quick to this team, not a lot of basketball to talk about, not a lot of anything to talk about with, with Corona going on. Have you got to look at a lot of the incoming cats coming in, the B.J. Boston's, Terrence Clark, you know, Devin asked you, have you got to look at them or, you know, a feel for those guys yet? I haven't. I think um, with me and where sports is at right now and what I'm doing, I'm just so caught up in what I'm doing for my kids that, you know, I don't even know what the season going to look like, you know, because yeah. we're just trying to get a professional sport back on. Uh, back on TV and some guys back to playing and participating. So for me to look at college and say, well, you know, because I don't know if it's going to be online class in the fall. I don't know how many guys can practice in the gym at once. Um, you know, and I think every state going to have different guidelines, you know, because I, I think they're in Kentucky. I don't know what phase y'all in, but, you know, uh, when we had our tournament, the tournament that my team played in this weekend is that there were a few teams from Kentucky. So that let me know that the Kentucky – uh, faithfuls are willing to travel, but also, you know, if nothing's going on there, the kids still want to get out and play basketball. And so I don't know if the state has opened up to public and private schools or if they're going to have allow AAU events. But, you know, the kids and the parents are like, hey, you know what? We got to keep this moving, man. We just can't sit back and wait for our state to be one of the last states, but also a state that's trying to protect the uh, the community and trying to, trying to protect the people, um, and keeping them aware of what's going on, you know, and just because you're the last and you're not the first is that, you know, that's someone who's concerned about, you know, the outbreak and, 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 and the death total, you know, the death total is still rising. It hasn't mm-hmm. gone down. Yeah. Now just flashing back real quick. We, we weren't doing believe in Kentucky yet when, when everything got shut down, but if you were playing and if you were a teammate of Rudy Gobert, when he got it, how does Tony <laughs> Duck react to that? Let me tell you, man, you know, so I, I know him and Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if they still are friends, but they were friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably would be upset, man. You know, I tell you what, it, it, it would be like if Walter McCarty, who was my roommate and, and that's my homie, um, 
if he gave it to me, you know, and that's my dude, you know, I had to live with it. You know, I'd be like, okay, man, that's my homie. You know, we, we, we ride and die together. But for somebody who's just a prankster, somebody that's joking around and playing all the time, yeah, I, I would be, I would be pissed off because that's someone who didn't take it seriously, you know, not only for, you know, for, for uh, the organization, but, you know, just for the people who have been affected and died from it, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it, it's real, you know, you, yeah. so I, I don't know. I think after the fact, after you made the decision and after it happened and, you know, more and more people started coming down with COVID-19 and people started dying, I think that's when he realized, man, you know, this is, this was something that was more serious than I thought it was, you know, and, and when you're a jokester, you know, you don't think like that. You don't think you, you're just all about making people laugh and entertain and having fun. But but this right here really was something that, you know, people and families were, you know, like I said, they, they would lose the loved ones. And when that mm-hmm. happens, man, you know, it's there's there's no more jokes to be said. I think that's where Donovan Mitchell, you know, because, you know, you don't know because at the time it is such a, a new virus that, you know, mm-hmm. you don't know whether it affected the, the, the elder elderly group or the younger generation, you really didn't know. I mean, people, you know, we, we were just hearing that if you caught it, you know, chances are you would die and, you know, there was no vaccine for it. So yeah. there was not a lot of, uh, there was enough information about it, you know, for, for someone to, to have caught it and said, well, you know what, I'm going to be fine. No one really knew. Exactly, exactly. We mentioned um, your teammate Walter McCarty on a couple of episodes. How, how is he doing? How is he? Uh, we mentioned the first episode, mentioned him just now. Um, how's, how's, how's he doing right now? I think he's doing well. I think he's just waiting for the right opportunity to present. Oh, up a little bit. You know, he, he would be beneficial to any university because of his um, – his work ethic, his understanding of the game, and then just how hard he works, you know, just tirelessly in the gym and, and just trying to improve his, uh, his players. You know, you have to, you have to commend a guy like that. I mean, he, you know, just his, his dedication to the game and, um, you know, just his X and O's and, his, and how, how he pays attention to details. Because I got a chance to, to watch a couple of his practices uh, when he was at the University of Evansville, and I was impressed. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to impress me, man. Even when I see kids, I try not to be tough on them. But when I see something that's good, that has potential, or you're really good at your job, I, I will be the first one to give you credit and say, hey, man, you know, you're doing an uh, excellent job at, you know, teaching your kids, but also just being a mentor to them. So it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it. I don't think, you know, a lot of former players understand and see it. But when you really dive in deep to coaching, and these guys like a Coach K, Coach Patino, Izzo, like these are lifers, man. These dudes, and and this, and as you said earlier, they wear a lot of different hats, you know. And I was like, man, like, like me coaching, you know, just think about it. you got to run a program, you still got to coach your kids, you got to talk to parents, you got to make sure the referees are doing their doing their part. You got to no sets, uh, you got to no win to take guys out, you got no time and score, you got no foul situation, man. There's so many things that's required to be a coach. And that's one of the reasons why you need two or three assistant coaches because your eyes don't see everything. That's true. That's true. Um, I got a, just a Kentucky, Tennessee question. You, look, you, you coached, you played at Kentucky, coached under Cal. You know how Big Blue Nation fans are, up close and personal. You've heard Cal say 
from Pikeville to Paducah, how Kentucky, you know, reaches across the state. You can go to Louisville. There's a lot of Kentucky fans in Louisville. Growing up near Memphis, was was the Big Orange Reach still the same? Was there still a lot of Tennessee fans no. in Memphis, or was it just the? It doesn't reach to the western part of Tennessee, like Kentucky. I, I really, I, I think it does, but like I really grew up being a Memphis State, which is University of Memphis. Now I was a Memphis State fan growing up, so I go back to like uh, Dana Kirk, who was a coach, Larry Finch, who was a another magnificent player at the University of Memphis they had Memphis State at the time and actually led them to the Final Four and, and that that game that that uh I think Bill Walton might have missed one or two shots you know that was against Memphis State and and, and Larry Finch and his and his his group of guys but uh I think I was I grew up being a Memphis State fan my my household was more about Memphis State and then the other people in my hometown uh, were like UT Vols fans. You know, it was – and Knoxville is about six hours away. I actually think Lexington is a closer drive than Knoxville is. So, uh, I did see Orange, but Orange was because of football. You know, I don't think anyone was a huge uh, UT basketball fan, but they were huge Vols fans. And uh, if you were basketball, you were more about Memphis State. And that's that's where – I grew up and it was actually my first visit, um, my first recruiting visit to Memphis State. And uh, a guy by the name of uh, Anthony Penny Hardway was my host. Wow. Wow. And see, I was talking to a buddy of mine here, which I, I live in Tennessee, live in eastern Tennessee, but you know, got some friends here. And, you know, let him know we we're going to be doing the podcast together. And as soon as Tony Duck came out of my mouth, and he's a Tennessee fan now, and he's like, oh, that's the one that got away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so they, they still hate that you went north to Kentucky down here all these years later. It's still, still kind of stabs them in the heart, these ball fans down here. Well, I, I think it, it was it – was, it wasn't tough. You know, I, I think they had um, – you know, and I really did like Coach Houston at the time, Wade Houston, who was uh, the head coach with um, – who had brought his son Allen there. I just didn't think, you know, we could really get over the hump, though. You know, as I, and I really didn't know the roster. Uh, but, you know, I, a few of my AAU buddies was going there. And, you know, after I took that, that visit to Kentucky, man, I was sold, man. Midnight Madness just sold me. I was like, man, if these people are waiting out here for weeks in the cold <laughs> to watch the people play some ball at midnight, mm-hmm. I say, I don't think there's any, any better fans in, in the country than uh, Big Blue Nation. Absolutely. So that was a selling point to me. You know, when I came there, I was like, man, these people really love basketball. And not to say that Memphis didn't have loyal fans or UT didn't have loyal fans, but when you can pack an arena every game and it speaks volumes for just the, the, the fan support, but just the love they have for and, – and the tradition that is there at the University of Kentucky. So, you know, as I went back home, because I remember coming in on my recruiting visit, I was with uh, Roger Rose, Walt McCarty, Jared Prickett, and Rodney Dent, and uh, I was—I re- I remember telling Billy Dunham, I'm like, man, I don't think I want to sign this early. I said, I think I want to sign, you know, kind of like in the spring. And uh, so they had five scholarships. So he came back and he was like, well, I talked to, I talked to Coach Patino. He said, well, he's not – he can't guarantee you that he's going to have <laughs> a scholarship in the spring. So, so really they kind of put the pressure on me, you know, and I didn't want to sign early because I still wanted to take my other visit and see if there was uh, something else that I liked better than Kentucky. And when I got back from my visit uh, on that Sunday night, 
I remember waking up and I, I was telling my mom, I said, you know, I think I really want to go to the University of Kentucky. And uh, she was like, well, you know what? You got, you got a couple phone calls to make. So I'm thinking, okay, I got to call them, let them know I'm coming. She was like, no, you have to call the schools and let them know that you're not coming. You know, and I'm like, 17? I'm like, huh? You want me to call Coach Richardson, Coach Wade Houston, Coach Larry Finch, and let them guys know I'm not coming? I'm like, man, I, I was almost terrified because, you know, you hate to, to disappoint coaches that put a lot of time into you. Um, you know, they drove to my little small town. And, you know, of course, I had to, I had, had to narrow it down to one, to one coach and one team. And um, I just remember, man, it, it was a tough call. You know, it was a tough call to Coach Nolan Richardson because that would have that been my second choice. You know, and I really had a great time with, with some of those guys, and they played a similar style. But, um, you know, he, him and Mike Anderson, they really were, you know, they really were recruiting me hard. So it, it, was, a, it was a tough decision because I, I don't think at the time I could have gone wrong going to either one of the schools, University of Arkansas, University of Kentucky. I just thought Kentucky just had tradition that University of Arkansas didn't have. And I'm glad I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really ecstatic about my choice now, you know, some 20 plus years later that, you know, I chose the right school. And, and when you're making, making your choice, it's always tough, man. You know, it's always tough to, to not, you know, to maybe go against a parent or high school coach or coaches that started recruiting you and might have been your first team is that you got to make a decision that's going to hurt somebody's feeling. But, you know, it's part, as they said, man, it's part of the game. What was the handshake lines after those Arkansas games when you, you, you dapping up Coach Nolan and Coach Anderson? Is it all love? Is it still a good word? Or is it still a, a little It's still tense? love, man. I mean, it's always been love. Because I, I got a chance to see, um, you know, when I was doing SEC Network, um, and even with I was doing the SEC when I was with Coach Cal, you know, I still talk to Mike Anderson. I mean, I mean, Mike recruited me hard. Mike got to know my my parents, uh, my brothers. You know, he got to know my family well. And uh, a few years when I was at New Mexico State, I ran into Coach Richardson. He was like, you know, and we had a great conversation, man. You know, just just based on, you know, both of us being grown men. I was a young man then, but you know, I told him, I said, you know, man, I said, you know, you've done a phenomenal job as a head coach at the University of Arkansas and, and told some of the other places that he was at too. And he was like a pioneer, man. He was a pioneer. And, you know, he was a father figure to so many other Arkansas players. And like I said, I mean, I, I still stay in contact with guys like Scotty Thurman, Cordis Williamson, uh, Alex Dillard, um, you know, and, and a few more of those guys, uh, Corey Beck, you know, whenever I see him. So I became friends with those guys. You know, it wasn't like, you know, it was, it was a robbery on the court. But, you know, we were, we were like all good men off the court. So that was the reason why, you know, like I have four or five of those guys still in my, still in my Rolodex right now, you know, that mm -hmm. I call and we talk to and we run into each other. You know, it was – it really was like a fraternity, man, when you can play collegiate basketball with guys who kind of like grew up the same way and, uh, you know, had, had, had big dreams of, you know, not only playing collegiately but also getting to the NBA. Absolutely. And for me personally, as a fan, when Arsenal came into the league, I mean, I mean, they were, they were going toe to toe with Kentucky. They were a huge threat, but I still, I still respect those guys. I, I like that team. You know, of course they never rooted for them against Kentucky, but I had right. respect for, for coach Richardson, you know, Corliss and all those guys. And of course, when they beat Duke in the championship, I was loving that to see, them <laughs> off, you know, the blue devils, but yeah, had a lot of, 
a lot of respect for everything that they were about when they first came into the SEC. You mentioned how they got to got to know your family. Um, your Lorenzo's the one from your middle name. You talked about how your your parents were older when they had you and were probably tired when you came along and all that. You mentioned that in the first episode. Your sister naming you, were they just like, okay, you can name him. You go ahead, <laughs> baby. You go ahead and name your little brother here. How, how, what's the story behind that? Oh, you know what? It, it, it's funny you say that because I really would, would have to call my sister and, and kind of find out where the Lorenzo came in at, you know, because uh, my mama, you know, had, of course, had there was eight of us. Uh, we lost a sister some, you know, a few years ago. But uh, this is my oldest sister, and her name is Florence. You know, she's named after my mom. And I, I'll have to find out why Lorenzo, you know, because Tony was more about my mom and you know, some of my siblings have middle names, some don't. And uh, so she just thought, Hey, he looks like a Lorenzo, I guess, you know, and I don't know if it was, it was a, uh, was she wasn't, she saw, I heard in the Italian movie, but I don't know, man. You know, like I said, when we get our names and especially different names, um, you know, there is a story behind it. And I never, I guess I never asked that question. I, I was one of those kids that, I kind of minded my own business, you know, although that's my name, I just felt, hey, it was, it was my, hey, it was my, my birth name, and I left it at that, you know, yeah. I was like, hey, I'm proud to be Tony Lorenzo Del, but, you know, to take that name and to have a wine, you know, it, you know it's, it's definitely something from, uh, for my family, you know, because Lorenzo's, of course, is my middle name, the double zeros, and, uh, you know, the wine, the wine started with my brother, Leslie, who was um, kind of making wine and putting it in the shed, you know, he would, he would strain it. He would, uh, he would put the sugar in it. You know, he would let the, I think he did plums. You know, he would do plums and apple. He had all these different strawberry wine, you know, and I never tasted it, but my other brother was like, he's like, man, this tastes like, it's like some Kool-Aid that will get you, that will get you drunk. <laughs> so when he said that, I just started laughing. I was like, man, my brother been doing this for so many years. And uh, about two years ago, when I, when I took the wine home, you know, he really, he tried it out. And, you know, he could see, said, man, this is some really good wine. You know, I said, you know, but my brother also, my older brother was telling me, like, yeah, man, you might be drinking a wine and it might have a few different particles in it. He said, so you drinking wine, it'll be like some crumbs this wine. I said, okay. <laughs> but uh, so my brother Leslie is the one that really started making the wine. And, you know, it's more about something that he had in his head that he wanted to try. He's one of the, one of my brothers, man. He's uh you know, he's an innovator, you know, he, he, he thinks outside the box a little bit. So, you know, every, if you have enough siblings, all of them are not going to be thinking alike, you know, you're going to have one that's going to be a little different, but you know, I, I love him dearly. And he's the one that really spent most of the time to teach me basketball. So my brother, Leslie, we spent a lot of time in his backyard, man, just playing, uh, battling, going back and forth. So, you know, I love all my brothers uh, and sisters, but, you know, there's some, there's a special place for Leslie, man, because as a little brother, I can remember just, you know, he he might work a 12-hour shift. I'd go down, knock on his door. I'd be like, man, let's go outside and play. He'd be like, man, give me like five, ten minutes. And he'd put on some shorts, put on some tennis shoes, man, and we get in the backyard and we'll get dirty, man. But, mm. you know, as, as a grown-up, he took time uh, for his little brother, man. So, like I said, that, I mean, I, I love my brother dearly, man, for just taking that that time to help help his younger brother um, to achieve his dream. Leslie put you in the lab as a kid, huh? He did, man. He really did, man. Wow. Last thing, man, before we get this weekend started, you go back to the 
O'Bannon, bad play back in the 90s, had the name, image, likeness lawsuit that's been going on for all these years to try to, you know, get players some compensation for their name, image, and likeness. Had that been in effect when you played? Or had were, if you're playing now when it's about to be in effect, what, would you have went in Lexington to get endorsements? Or would you have took it back to Memphis? What would you have done endorsement-wise as a collegiate player had you been able to do so? Man, it, it, it would have been like us barnstorming once our season was done. I mean, I, I wouldn't, have to, wouldn't have to leave the state. You know, I, I think Kentucky fans and the community um, embrace all us Kentucky players, man. That's, that's, that's one of the reasons why you see so many guys that still live in the state, still live in the city of Lexington is because of how much love the fans you know, showed, showed us over those years. So it, it, it would have been there, um, you know, where – I could have been able to really brand myself um, and brand myself in, in a way where it would have been beneficial to my family a lot earlier than me just making it to the NBA. I think my, my, my parents, you know, deserve some of, some of the benefits that would have came with, with, you know, with my Jersey, you know, cause my last name came from them. So, you know, that Del double zero is, you know, also something my brother, you know, he wore. So it became a part of my family. And that's when everybody recognized me and know me of like, yo, man, you wore the double zero. So why should a, a university benefit when, yeah, you give me a, a scholarship, but also you're getting your money back. You know, it's not like, you know, uh, you know, you, you make a deposit or you invest and your investment, you know, you don't get any money out of your investment. You know, it's like a bad investment or, you know, your investment before you know it, um, you know, it, it grows or, or, or it, it could be saturated, but you know, when you invest into a, an athlete, especially one that's the, that improves and get better each and every year, and play for that university that has so that's so rich in tradition, is you're going to have a lot more ticket sales. You know, and ticket sales are going to be high anyway because it's just a you know just a, it's a hard ticket to come by. But when you can put a really good player in place and one that the fans they become a fan of. And just like any sport, you know, you'll start seeing a lot of people buy your jersey and, and want to get a signature, and you don't benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the, I love that my scholarship, you know, was free and I get I got room. Well, really, it wasn't. I had to earn that scholarship. You know, you just don't go – you don't just go show up to the high school and say, hey, man, you know what, I like you. I'm going to give you a, a scholarship. No, that scholarship was earned by my hard work on and off the court. So with that being said, of course, I'm happy that players that you know will be compensated at some point in time, and I wish during that time. But somebody has to be the trendsetter, and uh, Ed O'Bannon was that guy. You know, he 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 saw what was going on. He was like, "Hold on, how are y'all making all this money, benefiting from us, and we don't get any money? Y'all, y'all got TV deals, y'all got parking, y'all got concession, y'all got ticket sales, and you telling me that okay, my forty-eight thousand dollars scholarship is 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 going to take care of all that? No, absolutely not. So something always should have been allocated towards the players, you know, whether it was given to their family or to them is the only, only problem was is that you would have to give it to every sport. So title nine made it like, okay, everyone deserves some, some of the benefits. And, you know, that's a, that's neat either here or there, but I still think it's something where the players who are athletes, especially in the football, basketball, they would get the bulk of it because their attendance and, they have t- they have different deals than maybe like a, a soccer or a tennis. And for sure, they would get the book. I, I still think it'd be enough pieces of pie for the non-revenue sports. And you take a Ryan Howard now up at Kentucky women's basketball, what she's doing. I mean, she could, you know, do her thing at 
I don't Paul Miller Ford, Malone's, whoever she wanted to mm-hmm. endorse. Yeah. And I, you would have definitely had them lined up for you, you know, Central Bank, Whitaker Bank, whoever right. in, in and around the state, you know, you would have definitely had your choice of, yeah, I'll, I'll sign with you or maybe I won't if had that been a thing back then. And, and also I think what it does too, Vinny, is that what it does, it, it, it helps build your resume. You know what I'm saying? Like now you have a relationship with these different businesses and corporations that when you ever get done playing basketball, then you can kind of go back because you have established a relationship maybe with the owner, owner of a company. And once you're done playing or let's say, you know, you don't make it to the NBA or, you know, your college career is done and you're looking for a job. You know, those people be like, hey, you know, he was such a nice guy. We really liked him. Let's give him a chance, you know. So I think it, it gives you more opportunities when your career in football, baseball, basketball, whatever, whatever sports you're playing, when that, when that sport is over, now you have to transition back into the real world, into, uh, into corporate America, and you got to be able to have a connection or have a resume. So if you've already had, like, endorsements from some of these different companies, now they can possibly hire you based on the work that you've done, but you just who you are as an athlete and you as a person. So now you have a job waiting on you, you know, instead of you having to go out and – because once you get started playing basketball, and for myself, you know, you know, playing for like 10 to 12 years and coaching is while I'm coming up the ladder, you know, you, take, you think about your interns, guys who are your film coordinators, your video guys, is that those guys are kind of like building their resume, getting more years of experience. So when, I, when I'm finishing at the end of my career – some of these guys are assistant GM, the GMs. So now it's like, oh, we want you to start where we started at. But, well, here's the difference. I had a playing career. You know, I had my career just didn't, my career didn't end. And for some of them people, their career never started, but they went right into something and they were able to do it, sustain it over a period of time that put them in position to be hired as a, as a, a VP, as a president, as an assistant general manager. You know, so it's different when players are finished playing and have to transition back into corporate America. Absolutely. Man, excellent stuff. I apologize for my Zoom throwing some curveballs at the beginning of the thing. I uh, hope you have another great weekend. And, you know, you're staying busy, but you're definitely doing your thing with these young ones, man. So so keep it up. And they don't realize the benefits now, but they will as they grow. Man, happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to all the listeners to our show, man. Keep listening. We're going to keep growing the audience, and we're going to keep having fun. Believe in Kentucky. That's right. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, subscribe. Give us those five stars, and we'll see y'all next time around on the next episode. For the legend, Tony Dilt, I am Vinny Hardy. We'll talk to everybody later. Believe in Kentucky. Take care, y'all. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube